On this episode of N2BC and going forward, Vasha and I would like to acknowledge that this podcast operates and records on stolen land. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. As South Asians, we do demand visibility and representation, but we know that this can't be done in good faith without respecting and paying our respects to the Indigenous people of so-called Australia. Good morning, good evening, or good night, everyone, whenever or wherever you're listening to this. Welcome to another episode of Not To Be Controversial, and I'm here with my lovely, lovely, lovely favourite person ever co-host. Ah, Vasha! I'm so glad you're my favourite person too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Vasha and I just simp over each other sometimes, it's fine. Today's episode is going to be very relevant and it's going to be a very sensitive topic. We are going to be talking about Russia's invasion, or as I like to refer it as, a genocide of Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. And we have an amazing guest. She is a member of the Ukrainian-Australian diaspora, Lydia Slipetsky. And we spoke with her today, but we just wanted to clarify that this episode was not as structured as some of our episodes are, and we just really let the conversation free flow. This is a very sensitive topic for a lot of listeners, a lot of people, and we really wanted to have a raw, genuine conversation without many scripted questions, and we wanted to communicate just the hurt and just how serious this issue is for many people abroad Um, and domestically in the Ukraine. So a bit about Liana before we hand it over to her. Liana was born in Australia to Ukrainian parents and was raised by them and her Ukrainian grandparents. For her, being Ukrainian is her identity and her nationality. She didn't speak English when she first went to school. She attended Ukrainian Saturday school for 12 years. She completed Ukrainian language as part of her year 12 certificate and then went on to study Ukrainian language and literature at Monash University. She worked as a radio journalist with SBS for the Ukrainian program and all her life has been involved in some way with the Ukrainian diaspora here in Australia. In 2019, Liana became the first female president of the Association of Ukrainians in Victoria, a southeast branch. She felt it was her duty to take on this role as her grandfather was the president of the branch for over 25 years. And she says that it is not easy heading up a community that relies on volunteers and donations. She is fighting for a free, democratic and independent Ukraine. And that has been something that she's been doing since she was a child. We've also linked um, some donations. We've also linked some organizations and some resources in our show notes so please go and check that out um yeah and we will pass it over to liana um i'm gonna let her intro herself thank you um i'm liana i was born in australia to ukrainian parents and ukrainian grandparents uh my love for ukraine was engendered in me from my birth and my grandmother was instrumental in fostering this love for a country that I hadn't even visited. I went through Ukrainian school, university, uh, have always been very active in the Ukrainian community. And I guess anything that I do today and 
people of my generation who were born in Australia, anything we do is to support this cause, a cause that's incredibly close to our hearts. Our our hearts beat blue and yellow. Uh, we had safe haven here in Australia given to our grandparents who fled Ukraine after the Second World War over 70 years ago. And uh, unfortunately, we just see history repeating itself. It's incredibly heartbreaking and never in my lifetime did I think we would ever have to go through something like this. So I guess my role as president of the Noble Park branch of the Association of Ukrainians in Victoria was first and foremost to foster our Ukrainian heritage and our culture and all our beautiful traditions. Uh, that's just all stopped right now. Uh, we've just had a meeting and any events that we had planned or anything like that has been put on hold because our first obligation is to help Ukraine, to help our families that are still living there and all our friends. Anybody that we've had any contact with is, is uh, incredibly important to us. Other than that, the, the bigger picture is um, the devastation to world order. And we are, I guess, tired of Ukraine having to be the buffer between good and evil. That's how we see it. As a community, we're actually quite a small community. In Australia, there's about 40,000 Ukrainians, probably about 15,000 here in Melbourne. Uh, Victoria is a very active community. And uh, people have been thrown into roles that they just weren't prepared for. But we are incredibly creative and incredibly determined. So I have friends who have actually just stopped their day jobs. They've taken time off work. Uh, I know that my life as I, as I knew it has stopped. I look around my house at all the material possessions I have and they mean nothing to me now. I started a business in lockdown. Uh, that means nothing to me. Uh, my sister had to talk me off the shelf, yes, a few days ago because I was ready to go. Um, you know, not to fight, but to, to do what I can, perhaps in a humanitarian uh, aspect. I say that I might not be able to hold a gun, but I can certainly hold a wooden spoon and I can feed people and I can, I mean, I will pick up shrapnel off the ground because what's happening in Ukraine at the moment, we don't know where it's going to end and when it's going to end. Many Ukrainians here in the diaspora have had to basically just switch off their televisions. We have to look at our own mental health and how we're going to survive this. We cannot cry to our relatives because that's of absolutely no use. And there's a real uh, desire for Ukrainians here in Australia just to huddle together. Tomorrow I'm going to our Ukrainian Community Centre in Noble Park and we're sewing flags because everybody wants a Ukrainian flag at the moment. Um, if you don't know the colours of the Ukrainian flag as of the 4th of March 2022, then you've been hiding under a rock. Uh, and it's just sad that it's taken this devastating invasion to put Ukraine on the map, so to speak. And let's hope Ukraine stays on that map because we have a life that we want to live as Ukrainians in the free world. My sister and I were planning to go and live in Ukraine. Uh, it was meant to be late last year, but obviously because of COVID, we delayed that. We were waiting for our booster shot. 
got our booster and now this has happened. No country deserves this and if we allow Ukraine to be decimated, then basically what we're saying is that any country can invade its neighbour and that is just wrong. There's been a lot of rhetoric about, oh, it's a complicated historical situation in Ukraine and there's other factions there and we shouldn't get involved in a regional civil war. None of that is true. Ukraine declared its independence in 1991. It was looking towards the West. It uh, wants to join uh, EU. It wants to be a partner of NATO. Um, it is a very modern, forward-thinking country and we were just getting on our feet. I've visited Ukraine a number of times and Ukrainians, I think as has been shown in social media, um, have certainly shown themselves to be the peaceful nation that they are. The, the video clip that has moved me the most this week is a young Russian soldier who was captured in a village. He looks like he's about 19 or 20. Uh, the Ukrainian villagers are feeding him. They've got his mum on FaceTime and they're saying to her he's fine, he will be okay, and one of the villagers has her arm around him while he is guzzling down a cup of tea and, and crying. And uh, President Zelensky has said that they've opened up a, 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 a phone line that if you're trying to find your son, whether he's dead or alive, you're welcome to come to Ukraine and take him home because Ukraine doesn't want prisoners of war. They don't want this war. And many of these Ukraine, uh, these Russian uh, young soldiers, they don't even know what they're fighting for and why they were sent there. They were told that when their tanks roll into Ukraine, they'll be greeted with flowers, and yet they've been greeted with Molotov cocktails. So these young men are, 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 are lambs to the slaughter. They've been told lies and the propaganda machine out of Russia is now something that the world's not going to buy anymore. But this is something, as Ukrainians, we've known for centuries. Even when my grandparents fled here for safety, even then, don't believe anything that the Kremlin says. They will twist it. Black is white or it's grey. And I guess the thing that heartens us a little bit is the fact that the world has woken up to what Putin is. And he's of an old mindset. He lives in the old century. He's um, not from today. He's really disconnected. Uh, there's talks about him having very unstable uh, mental health. Uh, he has been locked away for two years and in this little bubble and he's out of touch with reality. Uh, you know, he's also very scared of catching COVID, so he's kept himself separate, and now he has built up this unrealistic view of the world, and we have a very dangerous man. Uh, it's honestly just captivating, at least from my end, listening to you speak, and this is, I can hear it in your voice, it's really, really difficult. I'm almost, I'm almost, like Vasha and I are almost tearing up. I'm so sorry. Um, you hear all of these stories from the Western world about, you know, solidarity, about power, about unity, and I haven't seen it as prevalently 
as I have with the Ukrainians and with Ukraine. I haven't seen a more selfless leader. I haven't seen a more united front and a more kind-hearted and open front, like you were saying about how kind the Ukrainian civilians were to the Russian soldiers. Um, I think they need to rewrite the definition of patriotism in the dictionary, just write Ukraine, because... uh, this nation has stood up and and really shown themselves to be an incredibly patriotic nation and you know going through ukrainian school as a young girl there's a lot of literature that was written about ukraine and all the poets it's all about uh, ukraine as the motherland we will fight we will not we will not give up um you know, the Ukrainian language is is part of our defence, of our armour, because it's a different language to Russian. And Taras Shevchenko, a very famous Ukrainian poet, says, Svohonetsuraitis, do not give up your own. You must use Ukrainian as a language because that is what distinguishes us from our enemies. And it's incredibly pertinent today because... Ukraine's history is such that it's been attacked and invaded for many centuries by Russia. In 1932 and 1933, there was a man-made genocide uh, by Stalin called the Holodomor, where he basically wiped out millions of uh, villages in the east and then repopulated those areas with Russians. And that's you know, people talk about what, what's Putin's uh, end goal in all of this. I don't even think it's a land grab anymore. It is a genocide. It is he just does not want the Ukrainian people to exist. Uh, he thinks we are beneath him. And who's to say he's going to stop at Kiev if he gets there? I mean, all those Slavic nations, the you know, Poland and Moldova and you know, the Baltics, they should be scared because Ukraine has been this buffer zone to stop him getting to the rest of Europe. Mm, Yeah, 100%. And we talk about, we see how, just how psychologically, honestly, unstable Putin is being. Do you think you could sort of summarise the, this crisis, you know, give us a brief insight into the history and basically what led us to today, to this year. Well, so Ukraine has always in history um, had independence. Uh, look, and this is really going to test my, you know, grade six Ukrainian school history. Forgive me, Mrs. Yakubovich, I'm, I'm going to try my best. I mean, I guess the upshot of it is that um, when the Soviet Union formed, there was this real um, push by uh, by the Kremlin to have this, you know, this this powerhouse of of other nationalities, and we were meant to be all Slavic brothers together, and they can't understand why we don't want to be under their regime. And the reason we don't want to be under their regime is because we have our own history, we have our own culture, we have our own language. So when my grandparents fled, it was because they were being persecuted and could not be Ukrainians in their own land. And thankfully, Australia gave them that opportunity and hence why I was born and why I was born in Australia. And uh, as I mentioned, the Holodomor wiped out millions of Ukrainians. That was another act to, to try and overtake 
what is a free country. So in 1991, when the Soviet Union broke down, that is Putin's biggest embarrassment and humiliation. Uh, he is in his late 60s. He wants to leave a legacy of sorts and he probably wants to be bigger than Hitler. So in 2014, the world stood by and watched as all of a sudden Putin moves in and illegally annexed Crimea. So that's the peninsula at the south end of, of Ukraine that has access to the Black Sea. So Russia's pretty landlocked and it's really important for them. So today's invasion has been in the planning for many, many years. It's been strategic. So now that they have the south, after that they went after parts of the east, which you hear often referred to as the Donbass, and it's the two areas, Luhansk and Donetsk. And he has declared them uh, sovereign states. So that's been a whole mess over the last eight years. And if MH17 hadn't have been downed, then a lot of people wouldn't have been even aware that there was a war going on. And I think the thing that irked us as Ukrainians most is that it was often portrayed in the media as a war between Ukraine and Russia. It was regional. Uh, the media often referred to Russian-backed separatists. But I'm here to correct that because everybody lived in harmony in the east. A lot of people speak Russian because they're very close to Russia and obviously because I've mentioned the whole of the mod and, you know, Russian language has unfortunately infiltrated Ukraine. But everybody lived side by side. So even my family in the east, uh, you know, they had to grow up learning Russian. When we went to visit them, they 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 changed to Ukrainian, but you can hear that it's it's very Russified. Having said all that, there were no issues in the east. And again, the big propaganda machine wound up this story that they had to come in and protect native-speaking Russians. And this war has been waging for eight years. But I guess a lot of people in the Western world just look at it as, oh, there's just some kind of war happening in Eastern Europe. It doesn't affect us. Well, guess what? It has affected you. Because from that, we find ourselves here in 2022 worrying about what the next step is. So when I saw that some weeks ago Putin had assembled tanks on the border of Belarus, I was incredibly worried because I could see he was coming in from the north. So he has Ukraine totally surrounded other than from the west because he can't come in from Poland or, or those countries. So what we have now is a three-pronged attack from all these areas and that's where we find ourselves today. And I think that what shocked Ukrainians in Australia the most is the speed and the ferocity and the brutality with which this has taken place. I mean, it's like an extermination. It's one day after another. I mean, today we're, we're talking nuclear. You know, he, he, he's very strategic in what he does. He took over Chernobyl. Um, there is still a, a, a reactor there. He took all of those um, workers there hostage, and now they've got their hands on on Chernobyl. Like, what, 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 what's what's next? Today we hear that um, you know there's a, a a nuclear power plant that actually is used to produce electricity, and now he's firing at that. What do you think, Swiss? So, 
you know, he thinks we're subhuman. He thinks Ukrainians are subhuman and he has this right to do this. And if we allow this to happen, then we're saying to the world, well, you can just go and take over a neighbouring country. And, um, you know, to this day, Ukraine does not want to be a part of Russia. Thank you for sharing that because I think there's, there's some media coverage on this issue, but I feel like a lot of it tends to get quite lost in other other news stories that suddenly pop up and it's really hard to take it all in. So thank you so much for really breaking that down. My question is, obviously, we're here in Australia not really knowing how to help or what we can do. Are there any other ways other than maybe donations? Because I feel like a lot of young people are out there wanting to help but may not have the financial means to. So is there any other way that we can show our solidarity and really step up? We've had such an outpouring of love from the Australian community. I've had offers of rooms for rent and um, secondhand clothing and, you know, we feel quite helpless here because we are so far away, uh, especially Ukrainians. And um, so, yes, we do have a humanitarian uh, fund which is called Ukraine Crisis Appeal. I mean, even a dollar could help because that, that that's worth a lot in Ukraine. And um, so first and foremost, we, we are raising money. But I guess secondly is also starting the conversation and, and raising awareness, you know, to, to explain to people that Ukraine is a country to be reckoned with, that it does matter, that it is a part of Europe. Um, so if people can't afford to donate, then they can at least spread the message about what democracy looks like and what it should look like in 2022. And Ukrainians are no different to Australians. They want to have a fair go. Um, they want to live a democratic life. They're incredibly creative. Uh, businesses there have flourished. Ukraine is on the map as far as IT goes. And they need to be given a chance to, to progress and to, to prosper. So as I've mentioned, Ukraine crisis appeal is one of them. At the moment, our community is just awaiting the first um, refugee arrivals. I was hoping it wouldn't come to that. When my grandparents came to Australia after the Second World War in New South Wales, they set up refugee camps called Bonagilla. I heard our Premier Dan Andrews announced that the um, site that they had for quarantine in Mickleham is now going to be perhaps dedicated to house refugees. And to me, that's just Bonagilla version two. And, you know, Whilst we're going to probably have to head down that track, I would really love to see Ukrainians be able to stay in Europe, to sit it out, so that they can then just return to their home. That's what I would like. I just really wanted to commend how straight up you're being. Obviously, there's no fear. There's no figure of, you know, rebellion, etc. Because it's quite obvious that Putin's extreme animosity towards Ukraine is shaped by such outdated, antiquitable, imperialistic instinct. And I, th- I now think, um, at least from what I'm seeing overseas and I, you know, what my family overseas are saying and what people here are now seeing, that his facade of waging war is an overt attempt, as what you said, to commit genocide. And we've seen it with Sri Lanka. We've seen it with many other nations. And we are very sadly and unfortunately now seeing it with Ukraine. What would you – this is um, – a question that I just thought of because I was just so into what you were saying. What would you say to um, those overseas who are 
listening um, as a word of hope for them and for yourself and just what would you tell those listening? What would you like them to know? Well, it's not just Ukrainians in the diaspora. It's the whole world is standing with you. And um, I have been reminding myself of the words of my grandmother. She used to say to me, which means hold on and don't give up. I mean, the first line of the Ukrainian national anthem is which means Ukraine has not perished yet, nor her um, glory and nor her honour. And that's the way the Ukrainian people are. Uh, you know, they've lived with this cloud of war for so many years. Our literature, our language, our very being, everything is, is prepared for this. You've got the President Zelensky with, you know, unshaven in, in army fatigues coming out on social media while the invader, the aggressor, is hiding somewhere in a bunker probably in the Urals. We were at a protest on um, Sunday and my sister carried a sign which said, Dear Putin, let's fast forward to the part where you shoot yourself in a bunker. And I think that's that's what a lot of people hope for, that somebody can just stop this madman. And the thoughts that I've had as a normal human being actually shock me because I have to say if somebody assassinated him, well, I... Uh, they'd be rejoicing and God forgive me for saying those words but I just don't see any other way at the moment to halt this screaming train that is about to come that is in Ukraine and is about to decimate our country. Thank you so much for sharing that oh, oh my god I'm gonna start crying now genuinely I I'm just so yeah literally no words um I guess my only maybe our last question here is I guess mental health is obviously something that is extremely difficult to manage during a time like this. Is there anything that you're doing in particular to kind of, I guess, hold yourself day by day because it is a lot to take in? Well, I have an army of sisters, you know, so if someone's going to run a country, it's going to be women, Ukrainian women. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, I have them first and foremost. But my worry is for, for my community here and tomorrow um, very quickly we've decided to meet at the Ukrainian Community Centre. We're sewing flags. Um, people want to buy flags and we're just going to get together, have a group hug and, well, a sort of a virtual one, drink tea. People need to talk. They need to get it out. I mean, I, I, I have members of our community who have their sons still living there. You know, I, I have relatives but they happen to be my, my cousins. Um, you know, it's a bit more distant uh, we have two teachers at our Ukrainian Saturday school who happened to go to Ukraine. One went three weeks ago for the uh, unexpected death of her father and now she, she can't get back and doesn't want to leave her mother. So this is, this is far and wide reaching. We're talking about having someone from our local community come and talk about um, counselling for our community and for, for Ukrainians here. We're preparing uh, bilingual information to receive the first refugees and to welcome them into our community. When my grandparents came 70 years ago, there were no Ukrainians here, so they had to start from scratch. At least this time we can make them feel a little bit Ukrainian, give them a little bit of Ukraine here, 
and, um, and, and help them in any way we can with visas, with, with jobs, with, 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 um, with shelter. So we decided today, as a, our committee decided, that all events have stopped, uh, all fundraising will only be for, for, this, for this effort. And um, we pray that Ukraine will prevail. Ukraine will prevail and it will be good over evil. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, just, yeah, the, just the, the way you spoke as well. It, yeah, it really, I'm sure everyone listening will be in tears. No, it was very, very, very generous to reach out to me and um, I'm willing to, to do anything to help. So when, when your podcast is live, I'd be happy to share it. Um, I also have lots of young Ukrainians here who would, uh, would love to speak. Uh, a lot of them are either Ukrainian dancers or they've been to Ukraine and, and you know, when the, when the Soviet Union was around, I mean, none of us could even travel there. But now, Ukrainians in the diaspora, they can connect, they can go there, they can they can see it, they can touch it, they can feel it, and it's it's really resonated with the with our Ukrainian youth. Um, so yes, glory to Ukraine and, and glory to her heroes. We just want to say a massive thank you again to Liana Slepetsky for just coming on and being so authentic and honest it obviously is quite a difficult topic to talk about tiara and i were both tearing up and i think it's impossible not to again we have linked resources and places to donate to in our show notes so please go and check that out and obviously if you don't have the financial means to donate liana mentioned some other ways that you can show your support and solidarity for ukraine as well um we also know that this can be quite difficult to just take in there's a lot going on in the world right now so please reach out to people around you and yeah, take care of yourselves as well. And we will see you in a couple of weeks with another really exciting guest. Mm-hmm.